Just as a reminder, you can visit us at thepandapod.com. That's thepandapod.com to grab our RSS feed, listen directly, and share PandaPod with your family and friends. You can also reach us directly via email through podcast at thepandapod.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, uh, and welcome to the Panda Pod. Um, I'm your host, Rab, and I'm joined today, as usual, by my good friends, Jeff and Wiggy. Hello. Yo. And today we're going to be talking about um, a new historical subject. I guess not new to you, hopefully, listener, but uh, new to us on this podcast, which is World War II. Um, Double war? (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and there's plenty of um as i was saying before fun stuff to talk about um and uh cover and hopefully educate and enlighten ourselves and also you the listener yeah we're gonna educate you how do you feel about that I feel pretty good about it i feel like i'm gonna be educated today too i am not super knowledgeable about world war ii so, so to kind of bring it back a little bit, I did mention, I think, on our on our room episode, like people, we were talking about how um, much we think about the Roman Empire, and I was saying that typically for me, I usually think about, um, uh, you know, World War II going back to potentially the Napoleonic era, and like when I think about things that have historical roots, that's usually what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think about that a lot as well. Like, I I probably think about the World War II era more than I do Rome. And I said that I thought about Rome like five times a day, so you can only imagine. I'm I'm stuck in some crazy history loop. But I guess that's what happens once you hit, like, 35. You just, you know, fall into the category of either... You're a, a dad who grills, or you go into World War II studying, right? Like you have to choose one. <laughs> that's that's your prestige class. Yeah, yeah. Mine's mine's history. Uh, you went historian. I went I went mystic. It's been really interesting. Yeah, mystic's also an option. Like right. like like a super hippie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, Jeff, how much do you think about World War II? Not very frequently, honestly. I, I definitely think about Rome more than World War II. Um, I don't know. I'm one of those people where I have to like see something or like something has to trigger me to think about things. I don't just generate random thoughts. Um, and I guess like the media and like the things I surround myself with or my algorithm, whatever, must not be very World War II centric. Right. And and this is a totally different direction than I was planning on going, but I think it might be worth talking about, like, why is it important to think about World War II? Sure, yeah. Because um, for me, uh, w- one thing that's true about World War II, like, if you, if you, and I don't want to get into too much America stuff on this, but obviously America's a player in it, right? Um, but the, uh, I mean, if you think about, like, problems we have today politically, um a lot of people, a lot of political currents would say that things were better during that era. I mean, obviously we had the Great Depression, but you know, as World War II kicks off and the war economy starts, um, you know, that's America getting out of it. And then, you know, we have the baby boomers who, I mean, the, the reason they're significant is because they kind of got to reap the World War II spoils in a way, right? Yeah, they did. I mean, the the growth of the economy um, and just the the general uh, generation of wealth, you know, the the outcome of the dollar becoming the the standard internationally. And, you know, like there's there's a lot about that that they they definitely benefited from just because of our involvement in World War Two. 
And even taking it a step further, um, you know, a lot of people will point to World War II as like a definitive reason that America should be involved in world politics. Like, essentially, like it's almost non-debatable that like we should have gotten involved in that war and that it was a good thing we did. Um, and people use that as a justification to this day, you know, for like the reason that we have to kind of be I, something we've talked about a lot, the world police, right? Yeah, I think the the problem that I have is, l let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest about history in general and like the human race. Like, uh, as a country, you grow and become more powerful by taking that which you don't already own from somebody else. You get in a war, you loot the crap out of whatever that they have that's available to them as a people and take it. And therefore, your economies are better, your people are richer, and that's just what happens when the victors of the victors in a war. You, you gain something out of it. Um, which is, has definitely been a, a recurring theme throughout history. And let's be honest the the american economy was built off of our involvement in world war ii and i think it, it's unspoken but it said that in order for us to keep our level of importance and our level of living that we have that the best way for us to do that is to remain the world's number one superpower right and and i think it ha i think it really does have its roots i mean world war ii is where that kind of i mean we could talk about it more as we get as we get to wrap up i mean probably honestly let's let's not kid ourselves we're not going to get to finish world war ii tonight <laughs> oh no no this is going to be a recurring thing for sure so maybe it does make a lot of sense to talk about the um what happened like why should you care up front you know what i mean yeah. Um, and 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 you you see America really emerging as something different after that. I think that's the reason you know that it's it sticks in my head and why I think about it so often. You know, if I'm thinking about something that um, you know is a problem today, I can kind of trace it back, not necessarily to a root problem in World War II, but potentially a root, you know like good even you know like if you if you trace something um back that far uh like that's i mean if you can trace it through the 70s and all that stuff too right um it, it's not even that big of a leap to get to world war ii from there right no it's it's not that big of a leap and <clears throat> you're you're right in that we I, I do think we should start off with the why should you care and it, it is very, it's still used in our political system, right? Like, the history of World War II is very important to America. and I mean, and many other countries as well for different reasons. But it's really important for America because we're going through this phase of extremes in politics, right? Um, we do have this nazi-like populace we also have this very uh, communistic um populace and they're starting to both grow in power and fight each other right and so it's very important for us to be able to say okay like there's there's lots of there are some grown-ups in the room that are going okay we gotta we gotta slow down here. Um, there's a there's a bit too much crazy going on, right? Sure, and I mean I think one big difference uh, between that time and now is um, that we're not really in an era of mass politics anymore. Like people getting together and pushing a common project seems to be kind of you know dead in the water. Um, and like, I think that's the main difference. And maybe it's, maybe it is making a resurgence, but it's like, 
it's a whole collection of individuals. It's not people acting together as a group. Yeah, and there's there's also the things fighting in, fighting against it, which is we have so much information that's available now that we didn't have before, right? Before we just had whatever the government wanted to feed us as a narrative, right? And now we just have information overload. And so there's always something else to talk about, right? And Sure. And that's a problem that they did not have, right? Going back to World War II, that was not a problem that they had. They had the radio, right? right? And and what you heard on the radio was, you know, Hitler or Mussolini or <laughs> like like that was just what you heard on the radio, and that's the information you got. Well. Speaking of Hitler and or Mussolini, do you guys want to talk about some Nazis and get that out of the way? Sure. Let's talk about some Nazis. Let's talk about the Red Eagle in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, so yeah, I, I think um, pretty much everyone can agree uh, Nazis are bad. Um, but, you know, that's a pretty simple statement. So um, I think it's worth investigating like exactly what most people mean when they say Nazis are bad. And I think that there's kind of two, I mean, I think that, 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 you know, you can, you can take that statement and kind of evolve it into, well, their treatment of people is bad, right? That's, that's generally what people mean when they say that they were bad. Um, you know, the way that they saw other human beings was bad. Um, they, they, they saw people as disposable and, and, you know, wanted to use them basically until they were dead. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's a little bit more um, meaty than just saying they're bad. Um, but then there's some kind of subcategories of that. Um, and the two that I want to talk about are anti-Semitism and Lebensraum. Um, and I kind of want to compare and contrast those and um, talk about their root causes to kind of uh, shed some light on what those people were thinking and um, like what people mean today when they talk about, you know, problems that the Nazis had, like the, you know, the problem with their ideology. Okay, so I know about anti-Semitism. What was the other word you said? The other word is Lebensraum. Uh, I may be saying that a little bit wrong, um, but it base it, it the, the direct translation is living space, um, and that was the idea that the Nazis were going to turn um, Eastern Europe. Uh, I mean, they have some particular ideas on which countries, but basically anything they could get, turn that into essentially a colony where the German-speaking, you know. Aryan citizens were going to be on top and the, you know, Eastern European um, citizens, a lot of them would be wiped out and the ones that were left would be kind of like servants, basically. Mm, okay. Yeah, so you had, like, this colonization um, aspect to it, which is just growth. Um, and then you have this germatization of it, which is like, like Rab just said, like, we're, we're essentially trying to eliminate all of the other cultures. We want them to be German. Um, and the other, and some of the other parts of that, that expansion was they really needed like agricultural self-sufficiency, right? Um, so they definitely needed more land. They wanted to be self-sufficient. And in order to really get to a place where they'd be able to do that, they thought that this expansion um, is something that they could use to their advantage for to be able to do that. Um, and there's a historical precedent for this, too. Like, it, it wasn't new with them. Um, earlier German nationalism and imperialism had, you know, radicalized this idea before. So this is something that, like, like not not something that you know, like Hitler made up. Like this is something that had always kind of been a legacy of of German history, right? And and yeah, I mean, really, none of it is something Hitler made up. And and like getting back to anti-Semitism, I mean, that's a problem that Europeans had really had at that point for over a thousand years. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there was a common practice. 
um, in medieval Europe of because Christians were not allowed to give loans that uh, included interest, right? Um, uh, people would, or the, I mean, I'm not exactly sure which people, but um, they would invite uh, Jews to come into the country um, that they were probably just had gotten kicked out of some other country. Um, and they would, uh, you know, have them come there and, and offer loans and, and, and really actually kind of revitalize the economy in a way, right? Because money has to be moving around. Like they didn't really understand any of these terms in the medieval times. Maybe the smartest ones did, but barely anybody did that like money has to be moving around to make an economy function. Right. Right. And so, um, they would invite, you know, the Jews there and have them give out those loans, um, including to the crown itself, right? And then as those loans became unbearable and they realized that they wouldn't be able to pay the interest back, and, and some may argue this is the plan all along, they would kick the Jews out and critically like seize as much of the wealth as possible that the Jews had built up, right? So they would, you know, they would basically send their populations into um, a frenzy, like whip up anti-Semitism among the peasants um, get them to get together a little militia, kick out all the Jews, take their uh, all of their wealth, all that they could that they didn't take with them, and um, you know that would kind of start the cycle all over them again with with you know those Jews spreading out to countries that at the time were accepting Jews, but probably would turn around and do the same thing eventually. That's wild. yeah, that's a, yeah the the. I mean, this and this is the type of stuff that people talk about when they talk about historical wrongs, right? Like, like this is like part of that ongoing, you know, anti-Jewish thought process that just permeated the world at the time, um, and and all the way back to ancient Egypt, right? Like, like sure. all the way back to that time, like they were constantly, you know, they would go somewhere and try to settle and the people there would kick them out. And then they'd go somewhere else and try to settle and the people there would kick them out, you know, and then eventually it evolved into the system that, that Rab's speaking on, right? Like, like they, they don't get a break, right? Then they don't get a, a break in the story. Um, and let's be honest, they still don't got a break. Um, I'm not saying it's it's it, you know in some ways or another, depending on on where you are, it may be it may be easier, right? But they still don't have have not gotten a real break as as a people as a whole. Yeah, it sure, sure seems like like they got. Maybe I'm completely wrong here, but I mean, they were given like Jerusalem and all that as part of like the World War II settlement or whatever, right? Yeah. NATO, I mean, yeah, that's a NATO thing. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah. I mean, it is more complicated than that. And it's also not. I mean, essentially, yes, that was part of it. Um, it was also the fact that that territory was ruled by Britain up until that point. Um, mm. And, and so, you know, it was kind of chosen because of the historical homeland aspect, but also because of the fact that, you know, it was just not sustainable for England to be directly controlling all that territory in the middle East. Interesting. It just seems like it's such a monkey's paw kind of thing. Like, like that is the land that they wanted, but it's such hotly contested land that it's almost, like it, it's inevitable that what's going on right now was going to happen. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Welcome to the current war. Yeah, sure. And, and it is worth saying, I think that the idea to send um, Jews to Israel was a Nazi idea as well. Um, that was something that they were thinking about doing if they won. Um, so it's not like, I mean, obviously, yes, the Jews were owed something after World War II and all of the, you know, the, the historical European anti-Semitism. They're still owed something, right? But it's not um, 
like it, it may not be the best th- best idea in general to think about what the Nazis were planning on doing, and then even though they lost the war, still do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's also something that that pokes up here and there. You know, right. we can we can even talk about we just a, a quick caveat. We can quick caveat to over like you know when World War Two was over, there, and we I think we talked about this before. Both the U.S. and and the Soviet Union took their scientists, right? Like, right. Like we just continued on with the things that they were already studying and the things that they learned, right? You know, so and honestly, when I think about World War Two, that is what I think about most when I think about World War Two is like how much we ended up benefiting from like the people that we poached and the technology that we poached from, you know, the war effort in Europe. Right. I, I totally agree. Um, I'm just kind of thinking like, um, uh, I, I'm still think I still have this crazy idea in my head that we're going to finish and get to outcomes by the end of this hour. <laughs> no, no, we no I totally this agree. Down. We benefited a lot from um, from what the Nazis did directly and indirectly, yeah. and I mean it really mm-hmm. can't be overstated. And not that that's a good thing. Not that it's a good thing that we're still benefiting from it today, but that I mean it's just a fact, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if had it not been for them, we would not have gotten to nuclear power. Like, and I'm not, and I'm not saying, yeah, and I'm not saying nuclear power is in like, like our nuclear arsenal power. I'm just talking about nuclear energy, right? Like that in itself. Stole a lot of their scientists for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just depends on how much propaganda is in. uh, What was the movie just came out? Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. You know, like how much of our propaganda was in that movie? I don't know. Um, but they were saying that we, we, we kind of had it beforehand. But, but let's just say for let's just say for doubt that we didn't. And Jeff's right. <laughs> we took their scientists and they told us about sure. nuclear power. Right. Well, so. I mean, I definitely think we were working on it. I mean, science was moving into a nuclear age anyway, but. It definitely like sped things up, you know. Yeah, which yeah, like war always does. Like, right, war is a machine that pumps out better and better ways to kill people, you know. And then suddenly, like, or like, in, in generally, like, advances medical technology too, because people want to try to keep those people alive instead of letting them die. Right. Um, and I mean, none of that's necessarily good, but it it is a fact. Yeah, so so I mean, let's let's look at this. Let's let's take a couple turns here, right? So, um, I was looking into the weaponry of World War II, and this get this is going to go back to health stuff. Um, but World War, like, so the reason for the the reason that was used to spark. Hitler's rise and the reason of for World War II was World War One. Sure. Right. So we're gonna go back a little bit. So in World War One, the main big weapon problems were gases, right? So chlorine gas, mustard gas, uh phosgene, um and and others. Um and so gas masks and the and the evolution of gas masks were really really happened because of of that war and so to your point jeff like with the you know continued learning in healthcare and stuff like it really does rapidly increase because of war Right, because yeah. not not only are we trying to kill people as efficiently as possible, when they're not killed efficiently, we're trying to keep them alive. <laughs> yeah. so, so, like, just something to keep in mind. Like, had it, you know, we we had the Geneva Convention so that we wouldn't use these type of gases anymore, but that didn't stop people from stockpiling them. I mean, it wasn't until like the nineties that most of the countries slowly started getting rid of their 
their gases right. Yeah, that's right. pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, like we just got rid of our last uh, stockpile of gases, I think, last year. The, at least is what they announced publicly anyway. Wow. Um, so <laughs> that was what? How many, how many years was that? I feel like that just tells 50? me that they, they feel like biological warfare is, is the way to go if they're going to do something evil. Well, I mean, it yeah. definitely makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> it's like nearly unstoppable and incredibly cruel and very inexpensive. Right. You know? Yeah, they even improved the gas towards the end of the war. They even improved on the ones that they were already using to be more lethal and harder to protect against using the standard gas masks. <laughs> so, like, like it, let, let's be honest, it's efficient as fuck, right? Like, if your entire goal is just to decimate a population, right? it's effective as fuck, and it doesn't damage the environment. Like a nuke would, right? Sure. Like, so, like you could gas a city, and then the city itself be completely fine with no people there. Yeah, like, you're really, right. you're really selling me on these gases, actually. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's terrible. It's terrible because all of the weapons that we have today that we would use all come with consequences of people dying in terrible ways and it started with really with with the gases and with like automatic just, uh weaponry which really came onto the scene in world war one as well yeah true yeah so so speaking of things that um we've benefited from from the nazis and uh and technology that we got out of world war ii um I mean, it is, I think it's worth talking about ways that they learned from the U.S. too. Um, and, and a big idea recently has been um, that they've, they kind of um, – they, they looked at what the United States did in the West, right, um, exterminating the natives there and, and getting a lot out of it, right? And they – that's what – that's kind of where um, – not necessarily where Lebensraum came from, but but why they thought it was going to be effective. Oh, they were looking at the U.S. and going, "Oh, look what they did it over there! It was great." Exactly. Like okay, that that their idea was uh, compared to Britain, which had like a colonial empire, right, and and administered a bunch of overseas territory. That the United States was kind of coming onto the scene. And I mean, every even even before World War II, people knew that the U.S. was going to be big, right? Um, but it was just that, um, you know, like they, they saw that as like a model. Um, there's a bunch of land next to you. You grab it. You put your citizens in charge, um, and and you use that to drive your economy and like, you know, then turn around and dominate other places overseas. Yeah, I mean, it's the Roman. It's it's. Let's go back to Rome. It's the Roman ideal, right? You you conquer land, you civilize it, quote unquote, to your standards, and take everything, right? And and that's that's what they were they were trying to do, just take everything that they could take. Sure. Yep. Um. And and I think it's um it's worth kind of thinking about, I mean, we talked about World War One as well, like why World War II had to happen was because of the outcomes of World War One. And I think we should investigate that a little bit more, but um, it's worth also thinking about like, you know, what caused World War One, And at least I think um, it's mostly because, um, you know, at the, at the time of World War One. France and Britain and to some degree the United States were very successful empires with a lot of overseas territory and you know Germany had kind of just come onto the scene at that point and they kind of felt like they were getting scraps when everybody else had a seat at the table um and that's not to say that like it's a good thing that they started World War 1 I. I mean a lot of people died it's definitely not a good thing that they did <laughs> but they were they were in a way like the 
like they were they were seeing everybody else dominate other people and saying like hey no fair we want to do that too yeah i mean what why wouldn't you sure you know i mean england spain france you know they're and and let's let's be let's be kind of honest here they did always like when you when you think about it so england and france fought and fought and fought and fought until they married so much together that they couldn't fight anymore. Right. (laughs) Like that's essentially what happened. And then they just became like reluctant, really good friends. And the same thing happens with Spain to a degree. Like they just kind of adopted Spain into the, this coalition, you know, and it's not, and let's be completely honest here. This is the same story that's happened all over again with the current war that's happening. Um, you know, a bunch of countries get together and decide that they want to be best friends and they want to create the rules for the entire world. And what winds up happening is you have countries that can't or won't agree to those terms. Right. And then you have you have problems. <laughs> and that's that's my my what I, w- I would call very 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 rudimentary explanation as to why the Ukraine war is happening right now. Sure, yeah, I mean um, it is totally true. Like you have um, you have somebody trying to say like these are the rules for the whole world. Somebody else says, well, I mean that doesn't make any sense to us. We're that we're the losers in those rules. Um, therefore, we must. Um, fight a war over it and I mean it doesn't make the deaths that happen in that war right and it doesn't necessarily even mean starting the war was the right thing to do um, but it's just like a simple calculation in well it is it's human it's human uh, it's just human nature like when you when you put somebody's back against a wall they only have a couple choices that they can make right and they have to make one they have to make one. Otherwise, they they perish in one way or another. And so that that's what we we come into. And like Jacob was saying, this is this is why Germany was like, OK, we this isn't going to work for us because we're not self-sufficient. We we don't have this money and taxes coming in from places that aren't just here. And we're a, a people of pride, right? They they saw. I mean, they they basically looked into the future and said, like, if we don't go to war, we're going to one day be the colonial servants of England and France too. Yeah, and it very well could have happened had had the war not. <laughs> not sure. Occurred. I mean, and ultimately, it sort of did happen because, um, I mean, when they lost World War One. They were forced to pay a massive indemnity, um, mm-hmm. and that is really directly what caused World War II in a way, right? They had they eventually experienced hyperinflation. They had some extreme instability, and um, you know, I mean, we haven't really talked much about Hitler yet, but I I, I think um, it's probably worth going into it now a little bit. Well, um, hold on, hold on. Uh, let me let me stop you for a second. Sure. Let's let's go into that hyperinflation stuff a little bit more. Sure. Um, so during World War One, the the German banking system um, had had a problem, <laughs> and 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 mostly because of the war and financing the war, right? Uh, so there was one guy that who was the head of the Reichsbank, so essentially the German bank, right? And um, his tenure covered the entirety of World War One and the immediate post-war period. Um, and his policies effectively created the inflation, created um, problems with their their trade, um, the devaluation of their dollar, um, and and trying to fund the after-war payments that that you just mentioned, Rab, uh, was all essentially managed by this this one guy. 
who <laughs> his name was Rudolf Havenstein. Um, and if if we want to talk, and then like to to your point, going into moving into Hitler, the number one thing that he always touted was while we were at war, the people in control of the money at home was why we lost the war. That was his blame game. Um, and his rallying cry in the very beginning. Sure. So with, with that, I'll go back over to you. I just want yeah. to give a little Yeah, bit and of... so what I was going to say, I was going to, um, I think it's worth um, talking about um, the great man theory of history for a second. Are you guys familiar with that? Mm-mm. So yeah, the, the idea of the great man theory of history is that, um, you know, it's kind of like the default view that you learn in high school, like that people, individuals, drive historical moments forward, right? Um, and that's really all there is to it. Um, most historians don't agree with that. So most historians, um, they are kind of more in the line of things that are occurring around those people kind of like produce those people, right? And then and then those people rise to prominence because they happen to be they happen to kind of like have their finger on the pulse, right? That they say the right things at the right time and ride a like mass current in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So 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 I think with with Hitler it's worth saying that like I mean, there definitely are some people in the world who like are powerful enough to have some level of an effect on things. But I mean, it, he, he's definitely one of those people who like happens to have the right. And when I say right, I don't mean correct. I mean like right for the moment. Right. Right. He, yeah. he was able to rise to power by um, happened to, to being in, almost like being in the right place at the right time. Right. Like he, he happened to have the, the correct level of crazy that made people think that his way of getting out of their their hyperinflation all that stuff would work mm -hmm. yeah he he <clears throat> he took advantage of so his his main gripe and this is essentially just i don't this is as as i've learned it over the past 30 years right like this is as i've learned it um, and as I've kind of looked into this, you know, there are, this is his main reason. Um, you know, he was, he was in the, the army as a very, very young man. And he took pride in his ability to, to be in the army and be part of German society that was his thing, right? Like he was a, an artist that wasn't any fucking good. He was, you know, his, there's lots of information, whether or not true or not, that his home life was very difficult. Right. You know? And so he found like he had this place and in his eyes, the Germans were winning the war. They were winning the war, but they couldn't win the war because the funding was bad. And so, therefore, when he got home and the world's in the war and World War One is over, he is frustrated and pissed off, and essentially just started talking to people about how frustrated and pissed off he was, right? And then started doing speeches. That's essentially how how this began. Like, right? And, and other people picked up on his thing and started supporting him. Because they knew that he had the he had built up that charisma by doing all these speeches and stuff. Right. And and I think two things. One one is that, you know, he's not the only one saying any no. of those things, you know, at all. And the second one is that um, you know, uh he is what's what's critical is that he has an explanation for why they lost the war that doesn't really require people to like fundamentally self-reflect, right? You, you blame it on somebody else. Um, and that, mm. that lets you 
I mean, that's an attractive idea to people who just lost a war. That they that they can, that, that that oh, actually, it wasn't your fault. The, the spirit of the German people is strong. You know that kind of uh, thought, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And when you when you you know you start you you just start talking. You know, you start gaining gaining a following, and you start gaining. And I'm gonna say this in a way to make this perfectly clear. I am not comparing these two people as the same people. I am not comparing in any way these two people. However, if we take a look at some circumstances of politicians that we have today, very similar things have happened. Right. So the first one that the first one that I can name is AOC. Right. She came into the fold at a time where people where millennials were having a bad time. And started pushing back and making speeches and talking about how important it was to modernize our politics. And right. it, and she and she took off. There's another one which is it, it's all about this is we're talking about timing, right? Bernie's another one of those. It's timing. He had the same rhetoric for over 50 years and it just happened to take off at the right time. Right. It, the the American people started getting started getting aware of all of the the different types of corruption. You know, the new generation was starting to learn that things don't really work the same way that we've been told that they're supposed to work. Right. right. There's a pop there's a popular meme that has um, you know, the kid and 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 a a bill sitting on the steps of of the 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 house and it says how does a bill get get made billy or billy's like how does a bill get made and the bill's like who the fuck knows right like like that's the crux of of the timing right and he and hitler had the timing right so um i guess let's see where to go from here um hold on before we move on go ahead do you guys think that a Hitler-like figure could rise up again in the sense, like right now, in the sense of like a rags-to-power kind of situation? Because like he he didn't come like he didn't come from like nepotism or anything, right? No, he was poor. His family right. was poor. Like. Do you think that the world elite or whatever have successfully, like, situated themselves to a point where, without money, someone like that simply could not rise to power, like, in that way? I don't think they have that control globally. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think that um, maybe in the United States that might still be true just because um, of the, like, control over the media. Well, the party system. Like, right. they, we, they've already shown us that they just get to choose whoever the fuck they want. Exactly. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. So right. they've got that in the bag. Right. So it would have to be somebody who who's doing it through an unofficial cha- uh, channel, basically. Right. And it's kind of hard for me to uh, imagine, like with Facebook and TikTok and, you know, all the ways that people consume media, that somebody like that wouldn't get shut down before right. they were able to succeed, at least in our context. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I do think that, like, if somebody, you know, was going to really oppose what's happening right now it would most likely happen from outside of the united states right that it was that would it would be forces you know it would essentially be people throwing off the like rising up and 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 allowing their country to kind of throw off the yoke so do you think they'll be from 4chan (laughs) i hope not you you'd hope you we would hope not however (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it just kind of depends, you know, like, like, I I definitely think it's possible. I think there's a couple countries right now where somebody could come from and do a lot of damage um, if they were able to rise up in the fashion that 
that would would that you're talking about, right? Like just somebody with that currently doesn't have any political power, but's young that has passion and can uh, tap into the current cultural waves of a country. Um, and I think there there are several countries at the moment where that could definitely happen. The problem is that most of the countries that I can think of where that would happen, those countries are currently poor. Um, right. I mean, well, turmoil is, is, is in a way what allowed him to seize the moment, right? So, like, there has to be turmoil, um, like, bad turmoil, like, much worse than we even have now in the U.S., I would say. Yeah. If Imagine some way if... Hamas was actually able to take Israel. I could see someone like that coming to power there in that sure. in that circumstance. I could see that. I just don't I know. I could they'd also like, see. I just I don't know. Also, they'd, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was just say I. I don't see how. Even if they did come to power, I don't see how they could make. Uh, as big of an impact as Hitler did before they were just squashed at this point. Well, it's, it's more difficult because of the video and satellite type surveillances that we have now, right? We can pretty much tell what in a general sense, what other countries are doing, right? Like we can, we can tell that just through satellite images and video and drones and shit, right? Like we, we can keep a tab on whoever we want to keep their tabs on. So to get to the extent that they did, they would have to, like, if you're talking about, like, the Holocaust, right? Is that what you're thinking? Like, the damage that they did with the Holocaust? No, I'm I'm more just thinking about him even, like, just getting, to, getting to the point that a war like World War II was starting. Like even before the Holocaust stuff. I mean, like, that's not that that's not that crazy. I mean, it started because he just went and took a, another piece of land over. I mean, that's not any different than what Russia did when they took over uh, uh Crimea. Yeah, Crimea. Yeah, like I mean, people like if 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 we are in World War Three right now, we definitely wouldn't know it right this second. You know what I mean? Like it's possible yeah, that people sure. will look back at this moment and be like, oh. You know, that was like maybe Putin is a, a Hitler like figure just in in the way that he can affect the world. Yeah, that's true. I think that maybe a single person can't do it anymore. But I think that uh, a AI programmed by, you know, like something decentralized that can't be killed, you know what right. I mean, could, could potentially do it like something that's just been fed like specific rhetoric. Yeah, that's an interesting, yeah, interesting thought. Yeah, I mean, you'd also have to have people follow the AI. And well, I think rhetoric. that's more likely than getting so. Like, if you make it so convenient to use, and it just like really, like, really subtly like changes the way you view things. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the, that's the concern. That's just the current current concern with AI and and um uh. What's that called? Um, like responsible AI, right? Like ethical, like ethical, ethic, AI ethics, right? Like that's that's the big topic at the moment, you know. So that that is a fourth of a forethought, you know, or some foresight. I'm glad that people are talking about it now. Well, it, it gets back but, to the great man theory of history too, to some degree, because like, did did Hitler really do that? You know, I mean, we, not we by have himself. this idea. Exactly. I mean, we have this idea of him as like a singular, a singularly powerful individual. But I think it can be, you know, kind of argued a lot. I mean, especially, you know, if you get into like the fact that he was always hopped up on stimulants, like that is something true about him. Right. And he oh, wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't be like that if it wasn't for the fact that there was like a crowd of people around him saying, like, you have to be the one to make all these speeches. Right. You have to be always fired up and energetic. Um, and like, if those people weren't there, like whispering in his ear, you know, I mean, it's like, he would be, he would just be a completely different individual to some degree. Right. It sounds yeah. like you're describing a like school shooter right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to to humanize Hitler necessarily. Like, that's not at all what I'm trying to do with this. I'm more, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm more just trying to say that, like, everything that happens in history has a lot of people behind it, I think. And and sure. I think, I mean, I think the decentralized AI, like, maybe people might might still continue to look back and say, like, oh, it was that AI that did that. But, I mean, really, it was the people who built it, right? And the people right, who, yeah, who put yeah. it together and did all the programming and all that stuff. Yeah, and that's, and that's a part, like, the biggest part of his rise is the backing that he wound up getting from people who were in politics and did have power. Like, they made the conscious decision to say, okay, this guy's got something, I don't think they had it in their minds that it would necessarily become what it became. But at the time they were like, okay, this is something he's, he's saying things that I like. So let's prop this guy up. You know, at the very least he becomes a problem, right. And, and a problem for a current government and policies that I don't like is, is just good for me in general. Right. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. And so they prop him up, you know, and it took a while for him to take over the, the Reichstag, right? Like he didn't just immediately start making speeches and all of a sudden he was king of Germany. Yeah. He went right? to jail like, first. Yeah. <laughs> he was literally he was... suppressed by the state. I mean, now, nowadays a figure like that, Jeff's probably right, would just get killed. But, yeah. um, uh, he was suppressed by the state and sent to jail, and that's where he wrote Mein Kampf. Yeah. And so, like, like it did take time. And and one of the things that I want to point out is, through all the atrocities that he did, and the things that the other countries knew about, the other countries were still f- very friendly with him for a very long time. Until it got to the point where where Britain was like, I'm I'm tired of you fucking with my neighbors. Right. Essentially. Right. Like Germany like like uh Spain, um England and America had very good relationships with him. I mean, he came to America like met with the president, all that kinds of stuff. Like like he was not just a guy who like out of the blue came out and started doing crazy shit while he like, was doing like those like world tours and stuff. Were they like actively trying to exterminate Jews during that period? No, I mean, well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by actively, right? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it they, I think they had that goal in mind to some degree or another they were they were certainly suppressing Jews from the beginning of the Nazi rise to power. They were, I mean, Kristallnacht happened basically at the same time as the Nazis rise to power. That's when they go around, like they send mobs through the streets, smash the, the, all the windows of Jewish businesses, stuff like that, right? And that's like the first big thing to actually like wake people up to the fact that, you know, this, this is real and it's, it, you know, it's going to have effects and, and, you know, and the fact that, I mean, it's the first it's kind of the first success in that in that, you know, terrible regime. Like, do you think that. Like America, when Hitler visited us, that we knew he was going to be doing these things. Do you think we had it's like it's about specific about specific times and dates? And I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't know. Yeah, one thing that fine. one thing that I will say, however, is that it was very early on into his rise of power when you remember when I was talking about how like he was blaming the the finances of the the German country as to why they lost the war yeah he started saying that the people who were running the finances of the country were jewish he he pivoted to say specifically that it was jews that were caught that had caused the problem but I mean, that was like a world issue, right? That that perception, like where in the world at that at this time in history were Jews like welcome? You know what I mean? And they certainly weren't in the U.S. because a big thing was that a lot more people could have been saved if the United States has had accepted 
Jewish refugees, uh, like during the period between Hitler's rise to power and the actual Holocaust, if the U.S. had been more accepting of Jewish refugees, and I mean, not just the U.S., other countries too, um, many, many, many more people could have been saved. Right. Yeah. I imagine like up until the camps and things started, like Jews are probably like, man, shit's getting hostile. We should get out of here. But like nobody would take them. Right. Yeah. And and let's mention that there were times when we were friendly with him that we were specifically being told that he was doing heinous shit. And either for one reason of like, we don't believe it because we're we're good friends with them or we just don't want to believe it because it's going to fuck up. It's going to cause a headache, whatever, like whatever the reasoning was, we did not act on that at all. And we were being told even the beginning of world war two, that this shit was going on. And we kept saying, no, we're not the world police. We don't want to get involved. (laughs) And, and so, so that's why we didn't join the war in the very beginning. So sure. sure, yes, during this time, they were definitely doing some shit when we were still friendly with them. Well, I mean, it's worth noting um, that, uh, I mean, at that time and still today, right, um, the U.S. had, I mean, but they had a lot more back then. They had Native people in reservations, right? Um, and essentially, at first, the Jewish people were forced to go to the ghettos. And I mean, it, it's both of those things are, are really sick. But you you kind of think about it from the perspective of American president. I mean, if they have Indian reservations and Hitler has Jewish ghettos, like what is the difference between those two things? Yeah, yeah. There's there's an always a nasty. This is one of one of my favorite two things can be true as true at the same time things, right? Like like we we don't. A lot of people in America think we have this clean history and we have right to might. And but don't take the time to dig into the problems that we've had and the bad decisions that we've made along the way. And this is one of them. And that's what like the Rome episode and this episode are really about. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's and it's the reason that you want to study history at all. Right. It's so that it'll tell you something about the present. If it couldn't tell you anything about the present, like what would it be even before? Like there's really no point in dwelling on the past. Yeah, there's no point in doing it unless you can see start to see unless you start to see similarities, unless you start to see trends, unless you start to see like the beginnings of mistakes that other people have made so that you can attempt to fix them beforehand. The problem is there's a couple problems. One, people don't always act on knowledge because they're like, okay, well maybe the situation isn't the same because it doesn't have the exact same markers all the way all the way through. Right. So one thing starts to look like another thing. It gets a little fuzzy. So no, we're not going to act on it. You know, like this kind of shit happens all the time. And But it's ignoring history, which is the big danger. Like ignoring the things and not knowing this information and how it affects your lives. Is is detrimental to the populace of the entire right. world. In my opinion. So um, this kind of brings us back um, to the beginning of the podcast in a way. And like, why does this matter? But also like, what was the U.S. doing? Um, And it it brings us around to something that I I really did want to talk about this episode, which is the Disney. Sorry, which is the business plot. Are you guys familiar with that? I mean, I maybe, but not. Mm, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Okay, so what the business plot is is a um, basically a idea uh, in the lead up to World War II, at least in the lead up to the U.S. joining, that um, the U.S. was going to um, like there was going to be a fascist coup in the U.S. and that uh, (coughs) I'm sorry, a number of top level businessmen were going to kind of execute it. And that um, they were going to, you know, use this to bring America essentially onto the Nazi side. Have you guys heard of this? I have not, but I have heard of the infiltration and the 
the propaganda and that kind of stuff. So I've heard, I think I've heard a little bit of it, but not the whole thing. So, um, essentially, um, what happened is that a group of World War One veterans um, were hanging out outside of Washington, D.C., trying to get money from their war. This is in 1932, so they still hadn't been fully paid yet. Um, and so a number of, like, top-level military officials were, you know, kind of mixed up in that, right? Um, so the idea was that um, uh, these business leaders were going to get one of those people to, uh, to kind of like get an army together, march on DC, and seize power for themselves. Um, and the guy they picked was a man named Smedley Butler. Have you heard of him? Good old Smedley. <laughs> the name does sound familiar, but I'm not sure why. Yeah, his name is great. He, you'll you'll see him quoted a little bit. Like you'll occasionally see like um, quotes um, from Smedley. Um, because he became kind of famous because he turned down. He's he's the reason that we know about this at all. Um, you know, it may not have succeeded regardless, but he he decided to whistleblow on it. Um, and so so he's he's a little bit famous for that. So you've probably heard his name before. But That's I just so weird. The... But he's not the first person that comes to mind when I hear the name Schmedley. I know another Schmedley. There's the Schmedley from um, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? Yes. Oh, is there? I yeah, guess and, there was one in Indianapolis. It's neither here nor there, really. But it's just such a like specific name that it's weird that I knew another one. I mean, you do kind of want a guy named Smedley to lead your queue, your queue, <laughs> right? I mean, like it just it, it it brings to mind. I mean, it's just the Rocky and Bullwinkle connection, maybe, but it brings to guy uh, to mind a guy who's like twirling his mustache. To That's me, totally what that Smedley in Indianapolis looked like too. He looked like Willy Wonka. <laughs> Yeah, I when I when I imagine Smedley, I imagine um like a gang like more like kind of like a mafia setting, right? And you being you sitting there and you're presented a problem and you're just like Smedley, take care of it. Right? Like a number two guy. Like I don't imagine him being like the one to start a queue, but I imagine you having a Smedley. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> you you trust Smedley. I can and, imagine in a moment of frustration going smadly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially back in that time, right? Like just being like smadly. And that's definitely how the business plot leaders reacted. Um, nobody was uh, prosecuted for it, um, and uh, it, you know, it, they basically Congress decided, um, you know, they believe there was no question that the discussion had happened. But that it was like kind of too upsetting, I guess, at a time before they were about to enter the war to start arresting a bunch of people for it. Um, and what's what's it tracks? <laughs> they're, ri- they're they're rich, right? Yeah, exactly. They're rich, so they get away with it, right? Um, and uh, what's what's notable too is that there's a lot of evidence that George W. Bush's fa- uh, grandfather, um, he was one of the uh, primary like motivators of this. His name is Prescott Bush, and he's he's the dad of George H. W. Bush and the grandfather of George W. Bush. Yeah, I've heard I've heard his name a couple times um, when they were talking about that era. Like he was an important figure um, during during that time. Um, he didn't quite have the pull of a president, right? <laughs> but he was very influential during that time, much the same as, like, the Rockefellers. Right, right. he was like, a big oil baron in Texas. Yeah, he was very, very rich um, and very well-connected. I mean, you gotta but, be if uh, your son and grandson go on to be president. Yeah, that's how that's how that works. So, but in... The reason I know that name is because Prescott Bush was also like one of the early members of the Skull and Bone Society too, right? Yep. Ah, yes. It's yeah, all so. connected. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, no surprise there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if the other member if if you found out that other members of the Skull and Bone Society are the same people that um you know 
uh, Smedley told the blew the whistle on. Damn it, Smedley! <laughs> <laughs> think, well, I that's, think that's a good leave point. Yeah, that's that's about where I was hoping to get. I think that's that's a fun um, cap to the end. And honestly, I think if I if I start back in um, on World War II probably pick off where we kind of went off track which is like what was happening in germany and and also critically russia between world war one and world war two yes i like it all right give give us give us an outro Rab. all right well um thank you everybody for listening and as i always say hitler is bad very bad <laughs> I say that too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely something worth saying uh, over and over again. Um and when you're when you're talking about the Nazis so deeply, it can't be overstated that, you know, they sucked. Yeah. And they're, um they're pretty terrible. That's about all for today. Um thanks everybody for listening. I hope you learned something. Hope you learned something, Jeff. I did a lot. And uh we'll see you all next week. Bye. See you next time.